0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin. Proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Early this week, uh, NASA uh, on Tuesday launched its new SLS rocket, the first Uh, launch of the new Artemis program, the sister program of Apollo. It'll hopefully take mankind to the moon again. I've been following the construction of SLS since about 2011. It was supposed to launch back in 2016, but it kept getting delayed. Two years ago they planned to launch it last winter, possibly when we were supposed to be in Florida and and maybe gotten to see it. Uh, Well, it got delayed. Uh, They tried to launch it two earlier times this year, uh, and I was ready for it each time, but getting delayed. Finally, it was go for launch on Tuesday, but it was after midnight. And I thought, well, I'm going to stay up for it. The launch window opened, but they put it in a holding pattern, which which meant that they uh, were going to hold it for 10 minutes and then see again and then hold it for another 10 minutes. Uh, So they kept doing that. They held it again and again. And so each time I thought, well, I'm just going to check my phone again in, in 10 minutes. So I shut my eyes, fell asleep, I wake up anxiously, check my phone, see the countdown, and see there's 10 minutes still on the clock, and it's counting. But then I realize it's counting up. I'm waiting for 11 years, and I miss it by 10 minutes. <laughs> this morning in our gospel, Jesus tells a parable of some others who have been waiting a long time, and five who missed out. And they miss out on the only thing that really matters, Eternity, or more accurately, eternal joy, eternal life, the greatest of all banquets, the wedding supper of the Lamb and His bride, the church. In this parable, contrary to being about some people long ago, this parable is about us. We are in a holding pattern, especially as we approach Advent the season of the liturgical year that's all about waiting, waiting for the coming of Christ. We recognize that we are uh, waiting; we're on a holding pattern. But but what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for heaven to blast off into heaven, or are we waiting for Jesus, for Jesus to come down to us? In other words, are, are we waiting for the party, the banquet? or are we waiting for the groom? And it really makes all the difference because what I'm waiting for now will be the thing that I want to have now. The picture of waiting for the groom uh, that Jesus uses in our gospel is a beautiful picture, and it's perfect. When I do marriage counseling for engaged couples, uh, I stress over and over that, that what you're waiting for What you're working for, what you're watching for is not the celebration, not the parties, not your feelings of happiness, um, but life with each other, Uh, the joy of life both in good times and in bad. If a couple is focused on the celebration or happiness, uh, most often then they can't can't wait, Uh, they won't wait, Uh, so they'll live together before marriage, seek the blessings of marriage without marriage itself. And statistically, these are the marriages that end abruptly later on. So then for us, what are, what are we waiting for again? Heaven or life together with our group? Now, I, I think modern society, I think in, mo- in modern society, most people are waiting for heaven. Our modern society very ironically has an obsession with heaven. Everyone thinks there's a heaven, and everyone thinks they're going to go there. You could go to a funeral of the most outspoken atheist, and you'll hear talk about how they are in a better place. They're at rest. Even at some Christian funerals, any mention of Jesus makes them uneasy. All they want to talk about is heaven. Think about the most common songs you hear at funerals and then then ask yourself, is Jesus actually mentioned in them uh, or is it just about heaven? I'll let you consider that yourself. This, this obsession with heaven can become a stumbling block for us. We get so focused on heaven that we forget to watch and wait for Jesus now. We, we can love the idea of heaven and miss out on what heaven then actually is. And we begin to think of God being so good, so generous, that there's no way that he would not let us in. Of course, God wants what's best for me. In heaven, I won't get sick. Uh, I, uh, I won't be sad, I'll be happy all the time. Of course God wants that for me. But that belief then starts to, to seep into the present. If God wants all those things for me, then, then he must want them for me now. And so we start to prioritize things other than Jesus. Things like our health, our happiness. We think waiting is bad. God wouldn't want me to wait, because that means I'm not happy now. Now. But waiting is, in fact, good. Patience, after all, is a virtue. Without the waiting, without the expectation, heaven doesn't mean anything. If I can have everything all the time, all at once, then I have no need to prepare. I have no need to watch for the groom. I have no need for Jesus. So this countercultural parable really speaks to our day because half do not get in and they thought they were going to. Outwardly, they, they did all the right things. They were after all virgins. They, they didn't pervert themselves by adultery. They were good people. They could have been Christians all their life, baptized, confirmed, but they lost out in the end. Because in the end, they didn't have the one thing that really mattered. They were so concerned about the banquet that they didn't concern themselves with watching for the groom. Their faith was not in the right And so they're locked out. They miss it by that much. This parable speaks of the time right before the last judgment of God. We confess in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Where we say that when Jesus returns, the Holy Spirit will raise up me and all the dead. So what does this mean? In the parable, all ten of these virgins, both the wise and the foolish, they all fall asleep. It's an analogy. This sleep is the sleep of death. Before these ten go to sleep, they they all look the same. You you couldn't tell them apart. But after they go to sleep, they're all awakened. All ten are awakened, and it becomes immediately clear to them that now there's a difference between them. They are awakened, and they are judged, soul and body. Believers and unbelievers are both raised bodily. We believe in the bodily resurrection. At the end of time when Jesus returns, the Holy Spirit will raise our dead bodies, which are asleep in our graves, to join our souls, and each person will have to give an account of their own works in body and soul. And they're judged on the basis of whether or not they had oil, whether or not they had faith in Jesus. Those who do will enter everlasting life, but those who do not will be sent to everlasting fire. So, a couple of things. This is not soul sleep. This is not purgatory. Uh, this is not reincarnation. The Bible teaches no such things. When believers die, their soul immediately goes to the Father in heaven, uh, just as Jesus' death on the cross and his committing his soul into his Father's hands shows. Our souls go to heaven, which is a a peaceful resting place, but it is not an unconscious sleep. At the same time, our bodies go to the grave. They return to dust, where they, they sleep. They wait to be awakened. When unbelievers die, their souls are cast into prison or hell. Their bodies, too, in the grave, waiting to be awakened. This also means and also shows that heaven is not the ultimate destination for believers. Heaven is kind of like a hotel room or a mansion, as Jesus says, but it's a temporary stay before Jesus' return at the end of time. When we're in heaven, we're not yet where God wants us to be. We're not yet who God wants us to be. Even in heaven, there is this eager expectation for what is to come. Even in heaven, the saints are waiting. In his revelation, St. John sees the, the souls of those who had been martyred, who had been slaughtered because of the word of God. And those saints are bending before the altar uh, of God with their souls, waiting in hope and fear. And they call out to God asking, O oh Lord, holding and true, how long? How long until you judge? And then John sees a A white robe is given to each one of them, and they're told to rest a little while longer until their number would be complete when their fellow servants and their brothers would be put to death as they were. So, what are we waiting for? Where does our Father want us to be? Hear what Isaiah says. This is our Old Testament. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. We're waiting for Jesus, our groom, who when he comes will come to make all things new. He won't just give us a better home. He won't just make us healthier. He won't just make us happier. He won't come to just make things better, but he will come to make them brand new. He will make us and bring us into a new creation, new life, resurrected, glorious life. St. John calls it the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepares a bride adorned for her husband. And that picture of a bride adorned for her husband is this picture of the fulfillment of joy. It's the church, together with her beloved. All those who have died and gone to heaven will now be robed in white, beautiful, spotless, and reunited body and soul to enjoy the fulfillment of life forever with God. And she is glorified, outshining even Advent Eve before the fall. The former thing shall not be remembered. Again, we're not just made better. We are made brand new. Our sins are completely removed from us. So that even Jesus can look at us who have stained and perverted ourselves with sin. He can look at us with pure joy. And because there's no sin, death has no effect. Life triumphs over death. And there's productivity. There's planting and there's building, but the way God originally intended the world to be. No more will there be pain or toil, the curse of sin done away with. For God says, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. The peace that will be in this new creation will be so complete that even animals in this new creation are at peace. The wolf and the lamb shall... Lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt, nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. But again, only those who have watched and waited for Christ, who have been justified by faith in Christ through the word of God, will be a part of this eternal life, this new creation. Only the church of God, the bride of Christ, the communion of saints, the church triumphant, will remain. The five foolish virgins recognize this, but they recognize it too late. They try to go buy some oil from the merchants. In other words, they, they try to go find a church where the gifts of Jesus are distributed. But it's too late. The merchants are closed. The churches are closed. Christ has come. There's no need for the church to distribute the gifts of Christ when Christ himself has come. So until then, let us wait and watch for Christ. He will raise up me and all the dead and will grant me and all believers in Christ eternal life. Christ will come and invite us into his marriage hall. But know this too that because we are part of the community of saints, even right now, Christ is here waiting for us. And waiting with us. We already, but not yet fully, get to partake of this great supper. This great marriage supper by which we are strengthened and preserved to life everlasting. And so we pray, preserve us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.